Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was their finest. Today's episode of Petri Dish is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so that you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member, and you can too. It's really easy. You just need to apply to become a member, and you're immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's at podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Hey, guys. Welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Today, we're going to talk about all the different vaccines that are in development for COVID-19. You guys have, of course, heard about several of the really big ones. Uh, you know, big pharma's vaccines. You know, well, that's not even actually true in Moderna, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moderna's a pretty small outfit. It's like all Turkish refugees, which is really cool. It's the other one. Complicated. Wait, Moderna's not the Turkish uh, No, that's BioNTech. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. It's not even that important. But, but, you know, there's these vaccines being developed. But did you know that there's actually a thousand vaccines? <laughs> well, not quite a thousand, but there are 64 vaccines that are currently in clinical trials. And there's 10 vaccines that have been approved in either limited or full approval somewhere in the world, right? So it's not just the two that have been approved in the U.S. There's 10 vaccines that have been approved. And as of January 5th, 2021, 14.5 million people have been vaccinated for COVID-19 with 4.8 in the USA and 4.5 in China. That's pretty good. I think for this episode, I'm going to be kind of the common man. Okay, you know, I'm kind of going to kind of try to understand all these different vaccines. I think that there's a lot of suspicion of them out there. Sure. I mean, there's already kind of an anti-vaxxer movement, but also I've heard a lot of people kind of voice suspicions of something that has happened so fast. Sure. Right? Like, sure. a lot of, you know, public health officials had cautioned us to expect a vaccine over a long period of time. And then it turns out that we have a lot of vaccines in development and a couple in working order within a year. Yeah. Which I think in a positive sense is a remarkable feat of science for a lot of people is scary and something to approach with skepticism. I mean, these are people, of course, who like put all sorts of strange foreign chemicals like quinoa into their body anyway. (laughs) But, you know, so we kind of want to go through these vaccines and we want to really figure out like which ones really are crazy. Well, so at the very (laughs) least, I think if you're out there and you want information about the two U.S. approved vaccines, you can get it. Yeah, from here. You can get that info. (laughs) And we're going to give you our take on them, but we wanted to expand it out to give you a broader view of that vaccine space. What about the vaccines approved in other countries? What about some of the vaccines that are not quite approved yet, right? So we're going to kind of give you a bigger, broader view on the vaccine world and then also give you some nice, tasty, in-depth, sciencey morsels. And... The one Australian vaccine that got denied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, don't, uh, yeah. don't spoil it too much yet. No, well, I want them to wait for it. We're going right? to end on it. Yeah, we're going to end on the one canceled vaccine. So far. So, 
let's get into this vaccine thing. We'll start out with the U.S. emergency approved vaccines. So, you know, I, um, you know, I'm a scientist. So I already, <laughs> you know, I, I just have the status quo bias that everyone else knows what's going on with the Moderna and the BioNTech vaccines. These mRNA vaccines. Mm -hmm. But I think actually a lot of people still don't really understand the way that they're different from other types of vaccines, how their development happened. Why are they both safer than... A lot of other things, like driving on the freeway. Wow. <laughs> but also make a lot of people sleepy for the first couple of days. Oh, okay. I mean, don't they? Don't they make a lot of people a little sleepy? The vaccines, pretty much all vaccines can give you small symptoms, sometimes similar to a cold. And in the case of these mRNA vaccines, it's because they're giving you COVID? I know. Little it's, bits? It's because your body is mounting an immune reaction oh. as you want it to. Oh. Right? And since most of the symptoms of a cold are your immune system's response to the virus. Wait, just give me a quick checklist. What are some of those things that's actually your body reacting? Some soreness at the site of injection. A few people can sometimes get maybe even a fever. Uh, you could feel sort of like worn out the next day, you know, kind of low energy fatigued. And sometimes it can cause headaches in people. Right. Okay, all very scary. Well, I mean, <laughs> not that scary. That's, that's kind of how I feel every Monday anyway. So right, I'm that's not true. Really, yeah. I don't think it's that huge a deal. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so the U.S. has currently emergency approved two vaccines, right? right? And they're both mRNA nanoparticle vaccines. One is from BioNTech Pfizer, and then the other one is from Moderna slash the NIH. Okay. Right? In a couple of months, Oxford slash AstraZeneca might be getting approved in the U.S. Very cool. It's currently emergency approved in Britain, India, and Argentina. Who just legalized abortion. Wow. Yeah. I think they're the first South American country to do it. That is sad. <laughs> Moving South on. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, South America. Two U.S. approved vaccines. They both require freezers for storage, right? So these two mRNA vaccines, you got to keep them cold. Right. That is maybe in part because mRNA is like a little bit not stable. Okay. RNA in general. But I think it also has to do with the lipid nanoparticle part of it. Okay. Because there is another vaccine, one that is in phase three trials from a company called CureVac. CureVac, I think. They're in Germany. They were in the news a little while ago because Trump was trying to get them to move over to the US. Right. So have, I remember yeah. that. So that yeah. company, they also Whatever happened to that guy? Well, Trump. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> okay. Golfing problem. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so CureVac, their vaccine is also an mRNA lipid nanoparticle vaccine. Okay. But theirs can be refrigerated. What? And so I think that they just, they have a different formulation of their lipid -y part. Yeah. And so basically the lipid nanoparticle is made up of phospholipids, kind of the same as your cell bilayer is. It's right. Kind of the same sort of things. Maybe in the specifics, they're different ones. You know, I think that part of the reason why some of these have to be stored in the freezer versus in the refrigerator ends up coming down to the nanoparticle stability side of things. Right. And we don't actually know what the fine-tuned details are between, like, the CureVac mRNA vaccine and these two, the approved ones. But whatever the difference is, it makes it so that theirs can be refrigerated, and that makes a big deal when it comes to right. distribution. They're going to make that sweet, sweet vaccine money. Because, like, the ones that we have right now, 
It's like only for the richy rich, right? Like America. I don't mean rich yes, rich, like yes, class wise. Yes, I meant yes. like nation wise. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because when we talk about cold, what we're talking about is dry ice temperature right. for the Pfizer right. vaccine. And then for the Moderna vaccine, we're talking about like your freezer kind of temperature. Right. And third world countries don't even have dry ice. Well, it's just, it's much more difficult for certain <laughs> parts of gonna, them. They're going to tell me to shut up at that. Well, I mean, but like... But but yeah, it is... I mean, it's already actually kind of a challenge in America. Yeah. To distribute shit that cold. Yeah, I think people don't totally realize, right? But it is actually tough. And in the U.S., I think it is possible but expensive. And there are parts of the world where it is not possible to have that degree of cold chain logistics. Right. Where the trucks need to be cold, yeah. too, right? Like, everything has to be cold. And it's difficult for it to be that cold in some of these other countries. I think I did a renegade quest line in, in Bioware where I fought cold chain logistics. In Bioware? Bioshock? Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad we did this. <laughs> it, was, it was worth it, everybody. Okay. So, these lipid nanoparticles. Yeah. Inside, they have mRNA. Uh-huh. What is mRNA? mRNA is kind of like... a an instruction booklet or something like that to make some protein. Okay. The thing about mRNA is it doesn't last forever. So when you put it into a cell, you will make some copies of whatever it's telling you to make, some kind of protein, and then it usually gets degraded. Mm. Okay, so it's not there permanently. It's not permanently changing our cells. It's a temporary kind of thing. Okay. And in this case, what the mRNA's instructions for is spike protein. Right. Spike protein is the part of the coronavirus that's sticking out from the surface. Right. And it's the part that if you were going to make antibodies that could kind of block the virus from doing its thing, you would want it to target the spike. Right. Those would be the best neutralizing antibodies is what they're called. If the mRNA is just like some temporary instructions, Mm -hmm. then like why does the vaccine give you immunity for any stretch of time, right? Like your body just still memorizes that anyway, though. Right. So that's the thing is the vaccine in the lipid nanoparticle that'll get taken up by some cells. Some cells will bring it into their little cell stomachs, the lysosomes. Right. They'll break apart the nanoparticle, the mRNA, at least some of it will escape into the cytoplasm. Okay. And then there they'll hit up some ribosomes. They'll make some of this spike protein. Yeah. And then the cell puts the spike protein on its surface. Okay, cool. At the same time... Some of the mRNA probably acts as what's called an adjuvant. Okay. Which means a danger signal. Right. mRNA, in general, is not supposed to be in your cell stomachs. Right, right. And if it is in your cell stomachs, a lot of times that's a signal that there's some kind of virusy shit going down. So it's what's called a danger signal. Okay. And so your cell... It's shoving some spike on the surface, and also it's getting this danger signal. Okay. And then it's putting that danger signal out into the world, and your immune system notices. So then your immune system comes over. It's like, what's up? Right. And then the cell's like, oh, I think there's some kind of dangerous virusy shit going on, and oh, also I've been making this weird protein. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And then your immune system will learn. Your adaptive immune system will develop memory. Mm. And then your goal is to have that memory last as long as possible, right? That's the vaccine part, is you want the memory cells, the memory T cells, the memory B cells to hang out for as long as possible. Okay, I like that. So without having to use, like, an attenuated virus or anything, you still manage to trick the body into thinking there's this foreign element that needs to learn a lesson against. Yeah, so the part where I said the danger signal shit. Yeah. That is 
I won't say hypothetical. It's a little bit better than hypothetical. Right. But it is still somewhat unknown. Okay, okay. What I just gave was what I think is the most rational explanation for why there is an adjuvant effect. Okay. In our vaccine episode, if you guys go and listen back, I say vaccines have to have an antigen. That's the target yeah. that you want your immune system to learn about. And you need an adjuvant. That's some kind of danger signal. Right. So your immune system knows something's up. mRNA vaccines do not have a specific adjuvant. Interesting. They only have the mRNA. Right. But the mRNA, in kind of a cool twist of biology, seems like it is itself the adjuvant. That is our best guess right now. Yeah. That's our best guess right now. That's cool. Um, and, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense, but it's not technically proven. Right. It's like, because an mRNA is kind of like an instruction manual, right? Yeah. It's like if you ate an instruction manual. Yes. And it was in your stomach. Yes. Warning signals come out. Yeah. Your body's like, why are you doing this shit? You're right. going to have a weird poop. Right. That's what happens. That's like that for the human <laughs> cell with exactly. this vaccine. That is exactly what happens. Very have, cool. The cell has a very strange poop and yeah. it tells its friends about it. I had the hardest time with Ikea <laughs> before I figured out that you didn't eat that in the uh, food court. I see. That's not how you learn how to build the furniture. Right, right, right. You don't eat the You digest it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's basically how mRNA vaccines work. Yeah. Okay? And the two that we have approved right now are that kind. This is the first time that they've ever been approved. Okay, so we have never approved mRNA vaccines before. I feel like you had told me before that mRNA vaccines were developed for cancer as like an experimental. We're going to we're trying a new technique technology out. Yeah. So we had tried it out for cancer a little bit. No. And we had also tried it out for some other things like SARS and MERS. Right. And actually, one of the partnerships that I mentioned, both of these vaccines come out of partnerships. Right. Right. BioNTech which is the German company with one of them is a Turkish immigrant and the other one's first generation Turkish German, right? They teamed up with Pfizer. Yeah. The other one is Moderna and they teamed up with the NIH. Their original team up was for a MERS vaccine. Yeah. That's another coronavirus. Right. And then that's why it was easy for them to pivot into SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. Yeah. So that was the kind of original deal. But yeah, so, you know, these have been around, but they hadn't actually been approved yet. So this was the first time that an mRNA nanoparticle vaccine has been yeah. approved. You know, I, I love Donner, right? Yes. Like, you know I love Donner. I, yes, I do. But this is one of those rare instances where I'm so happy someone didn't just go into the family business. That's true, yeah. You know, yeah. this close to not having that vaccine. Yeah, right? yes, Oof. yes. The lucrative Donner market lures many bright minds away <laughs> yeah, yeah. from the biotech industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay. So yeah, those are the ones that are approved in the U.S. right now. One that is kind of upcoming, right, that in the next couple of months we might hear about is the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Right. This is the one with the weird results, right? Right. Yeah. So this has been in the news a little bit. It is different from the ones that have been currently approved. It doesn't use mRNA as instructions for the spike protein. Right. It uses DNA as instructions for the spike protein. Okay, cool. That is, in a sense, just one step removed. The DNA gets turned into mRNA, and then that gets turned into spike protein. Isn't it a little scary to inject DNA into you? Like, I saw Jurassic Park, (laughs) you know, right? Like, if you inject DNA into a body, does the DNA not, like, come and make out with your DNA or something? So if we were using a kind of virus that has the kind of machinery to integrate its genome into your genome. Which some viruses do. Oh, yeah. 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 And biotechnology uses that sometimes when we want to do genetic engineering. Oh. But this kind of virus, 
an adenovirus. Right. Does not have that machinery. Okay, cool. So what the adenovirus does do is it does get into your cell and it does get that DNA into your nucleus. Right. So you are getting that DNA splooged into your nucleus. Okay. And then that DNA gets turned into mRNA through kind of the natural way that your cells do that. Right. And then the mRNA gets turned into spike protein. It's still spike protein at the end of the day. It's just kind of one extra step removed. And unlike the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, it's not a lipid nanoparticle. We're using nature's nanoparticle. Right. A virus. Okay, right. And in this case, the adenovirus is a chimpanzee adenovirus. Right. That is usually abbreviated C-H-A-D. Right. Chad. Chad. So, wow. <laughs> wow. So you're using a Chad to okay. deliver this DNA? Just squirt me up a little bit of Chad, dude. So, okay, so, you know, I just really want to be exactly clear because I think this is where a lot of people's fears come in. Sure. It's like we're using the virus as a vehicle to deliver this DNA. Yes. It's not like you have a little bit of COVID virus that you're getting in you that's been, like, deactivated or something. It's like this is just, like, a vehicle virus. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's a totally different thing. So this chimpanzee adenovirus is capable of infecting your cells, getting inside of your cells, getting the DNA into your nucleus. Cool. It is not able to replicate itself, destroy your cells. Okay? Okay. So it is something less than a damaging sickness. Right. right? It's not a sickness, but it is infecting your cells. Okay. And also, it does not have the technology. The viruses that do this have enzyme machinery to get their DNA incorporated into your DNA. That does not exist here. These viruses do not have that. Interesting. Right? That would be a much different, still within like the field of biotech, like that there's still ideas to do genome editing shit. Right. This is not it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. This ain't it. Okay. This is something simpler. We're just getting the DNA into your nucleus. Okay. Have Um, we figured out the weird stuff about their tests or their trials? So it does seem at this point that it was kind of clear what happened. So in their clinical trials, what they came out and said was, okay, when everything went normally, two doses, two full doses, the efficacy was 62%. Which is still pretty good for a vaccine, right? Right. If not ideal. Right. So the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines had greater than 90% efficacy, right? Which is kind of remarkable, right? It was incredible. Yeah. It's incredible information. Yeah. Do you feel silly for being a cynic? (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, the way that it, that's manifesting in me yeah. is being blown away with what they've accomplished. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. I am blown away by their accomplishment. I am also pretty thrilled with 62, 63% yeah. efficacy. Right. That's still better than our flu vaccine. Right. And the more things that, I mean, this is kind of one of those perfectly competitive Adam Smith things. Or like the more vaccines that are, you know, work, I mean, the better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is going to be a situation I haven't brought up yet. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine can be refrigerated. Right. Right. So that means it can reach more places in the world that the other two cannot. Yeah. Right. Because they need to be in a freezer. Yeah. Now, they did have a clinical trial fuck up. And what that means is most of the people got two full doses. 62% effective. Mm-hmm. A couple thousand people. Right. Got a half dose for their first injection. Right. Half dose and then... Weeks later, a full dose. And for those folks, the efficacy was like 90% or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, they right? had higher efficacy. Now, 2,000 people is not enough people for a phase three clinical trial. Because I haven't followed the story in the last month and a half. Nothing else was going on. I just I just fell off it. <laughs> Does it seem like the first half dose thing 
is that actually better, like, clinically? Like, have they tested it anymore or figured that out at all? So, my understanding is that they want to go back and they want to do a clinical trial on it. Cool. But the statistics, to me, are not sufficient on a 2,000-person sample. Right. To know for sure. Well, luckily, they're going to do the clinical trial of all of India, right? Because <laughs> hasn't India already authorized this vaccine for like, and like ordered 150 million doses or something? Yeah, yeah. India and Argentina and Britain have all right. emergency authorized this well, vaccine. Well, Britain has to. You know, I mean, most of the government's from Oxbridge, right? <laughs> That's like, true. Yeah. yeah, they bought in from the beginning. It's an inside deal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah. The magisterium. So, you know, because 90% sounds way better than 62%, yeah. right? You could imagine them being tempted to go to the U.S. FDA and right. be like, hey, can you just approve us for this, like, half dose, full dose right. thing, right? And the FDA was like, no. Right. Integrity. So that's the thing is that I, I will say so far... For the two ones that have been approved, we've gotten to see all the data that the FDA saw. Which I think is a thing to really emphasize, because I think people are so mistrustful of this process. I mean, I was reading this really cool NPR story, uh, which means it's fake. I was reading this really cool (laughs) NPR story about some clinic in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they didn't know. Like, doctors in that clinic were like, I don't know much about this vaccine. I don't know, like, what it really does. Or, like, it kind of seems creepy to inject mRNA. And... All the information is published. So some of the doctors just read it and were like, oh, this is how it works. And then explained it to the rest of the staff and then everyone got vaccinated. Yeah. Like I've heard someone tell me, they were like, you know, I know a lot of doctors who don't know what's going on. And it's like, well, doctors are like, have specialties and are doing a lot of stuff. Like mRNA is like cutting edge biotech. Yeah. Yeah. And doctors are so vitally important, but like they're right there on the front lines in the shit of it. right? Right. So it is completely understandable that they're not going to know what a lipid nanoparticle mRNA vaccine is exactly doing in your body. They're in the shit of it. we are very, very lucky, or if not lucky, this is the way that things should work. Right. The information should be out there. Right. For people to be able to consume. That's why it's commendable and important that all those results are actually published. Right. I mean, like, I'm sure you have some doctors who are just like, you know, they're kind of a little Trumpy. A little Trumpy (laughs) about how they feel. But, like, anyone who has any competency in... Medicine could just like look into it, right? And just like find out for themselves what's going on. Yeah. And what we're talking about right now is going to come into sharp contrast as we discuss some of the vaccines currently approved in some other countries. Right, right, right. We're like, we just don't even know any shit. So right. let's take a break. Yes. And then go into the murky depths that is the con- <laughs> 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 Let's go into the murky depths of Chinese and Russian vaccines. China vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Coronavirus and Bud Light seem a whole world apart. But to these guys, they both mean something terrible. COVID-19 means ration care, dying loved ones, and quarantine. And Bud Light means beer, tasteless and shitty, the last thing in the back of your fridge to give you cold solace. Whenever you're trapped by a seasonal flu, you better poison yourself with our brew. Good old Bud Light, barely better than America's choice for a quarantined beer. So, Sean, I remember a story from several months ago that was like, China beats COVID, right? It was like, China has some vaccine and it's gonna... They're already injecting everybody with it. Mm -hmm, uh, Or the mm -hmm. military or something. Sure. Uh, Then, I don't know, again... Some stuff happened in America, been busy. What's the deal with all these Chinese vaccines? Or are there more than one? How many are there? What's the deal? Yeah, so there's actually several 
Chinese vaccines. There's like four Chinese vaccines. And so we're going to go through all of them. Right. We're going to chat them up. Let's start with the one that actually, I think, hit the news first in that it was kind of approved what seemed like really early on by the Chinese military. It was, it was the summer, wasn't it? It was yeah. like, which would be, I mean, it's already an incredible timeline, the vaccines we have information for. Yeah. Let alone this fucker. Yes. Okay, so the vaccine was developed by a Chinese biotech company called Can Sino Bio. Very sexy. And it was kind of done in conjunction with the Academy of Military Medical Sciences. Can Sino bio? Yes. <laughs> Sino can bio. <laughs> Here we go. So this vaccine would work as a single shot vaccine. I'm so embarrassed by what I just said. It's too late. Stacey can't take it. It's out. too late. Well, that's pretty cool. So if this works, a single shot refrigerated vaccine would be so much more... Like, that would put everyone at ease in public health because, like, you know, we're worried with two shots. We're worried that people don't show up for the second one. Yes. Now you know one shot, a person's vaccinated. Yes, yes. From a public health perspective, one dose would be so much better than two doses. Right. Because you can't guarantee people are going to come back for their second dose. And although right now the data that we got at the FDA for the currently approved U.S. vaccines says that the first dose gives you some measure of protection. Right. We're pretty sure that lasting immunity, one that's going to give you months and months and months of protection, is going to require that second dose. Hey, that's kind of an interesting thing. How long do those vaccines last, the mRNA ones? Like, how long do they provide immunity? Do we even know yet? So, because the phase three clinical trials are only so long ago, we only have, you know, six to eight months worth of data. Right. And those people are all still protected. Okay. As far as we can tell. Right, right, right. So, so that's very much emerging. Six basically. to eight months, but as time progresses, we'll know longer and longer how long we okay. have protection. For. But back to CanSino Bio. Yeah. I mean, I know that, like, so it's a single shot refrigerated. That would be amazing logistically. Yes. On the other hand, there are lingering questions about whether a vaccine turns you into a Chinese soldier. <laughs> right? So, or a tiger at midnight. A t- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever tiger sounds yeah. like. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Per sound. (laughs) Um, So this vaccine is an adenovirus vaccine like the Oxford one. Okay, Okay, cool. But the Oxford one was Chad. Right, right, right. Which means it was a chimpanzee adenovirus. Okay, where's this from? Yeah, this one is a human adenovirus. Fuck me. Called adenovirus 5. Or ad five. How many people were killed to get this adenovirus? <laughs> well, the thing is, people do get infected with this adenovirus in the wild. Okay. And it causes something kind of like a common cold. Okay. It's just cool. one of the viruses that can cause a common cold. Okay. How does that strategically play out? Like, why would you choose a chimp one or a human one? Yeah. So there's actually a very good reason why you wouldn't pick this virus. And so that's going to go into the oh, whole chunk sexy. of like why you wouldn't do what this company did. Very sexy. Um, but in any case, I do want to kind of say up front, this is not the only adenovirus vaccine that's out there. There is also another adenovirus that people use, uh, ad 26 which is the one used in a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Very cool. For what? Uh, for, for COVID that they're going to be oh, putting out. Oh, okay, cool. So, so Johnson & Johnson is also in the COVID game. They just haven't been approved anywhere yet. Right. But they're working on it. They're in phase three clinical trials right now. Very cool. And the data should probably be out at the end of this month. You know, it's interesting because on the one hand, you're like, come on, guys. Like, you already lost the game. On the other hand, with 7 billion people, I guess the COVID market's pretty good. It's a pretty yeah. hot market, especially since we don't know how long immunity even lasts. Yes, and I will say that for a lot of these ad 5, ad 26 type dudes, a lot of them lean toward the single shot 
as opposed to dual shot. Right. Love that. So here's the thing. Ab5 as an adenovirus vector, the virus we're using to deliver the DNA. Right. right? That has been used before. Okay. So for example, around 2006 with an attempted HIV vaccine. Upsettingly, that HIV vaccine seemed to increase the odds of getting HIV. Okay. Okay. Wow. Not Hmm. ideal for a vaccine. Okay. Kind of opposite. Okay. Exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) So. Okay. um, So (laughs) has it gotten better? (laughs) Well, so this same company, CanSinoBio, has used this Ad5 technology to make an Ebola vaccine. Okay. But this Ebola vaccine, so it has been shown to increase the antibody titers. Which is good. You want your antibodies that that is a good kind of proxy for protection. Right. right? You assume if you have antibodies, you're kind of protected. Technically, they haven't done the full trial to know, does this protect against infection? Right. And it is also true that the antibodies it makes seems to drop off a cliff about six months after vaccination. Right. Which is not ideal, but hey, sometimes that's how it works with vaccines. Okay. Now, so the thing is... Ad5 is an adenovirus, and like I was saying, it naturally infects people sometimes. Right. Some people have been sick with the Ad5 common cold and already have antibodies against Ad5. Right. For those people, the vaccine probably does not work at all. Right. You inject them with the vaccine, and your immune system immediately is like, fuck that. Yes. And your virus is like, no, wait, I've gotten better. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, fuck you, and then and it's gone before any DNA can get all up in your business and teach you how to deal with COVID. Right. It's a classic shoot the messenger situation, but right. they didn't even get to give you the message yet. Right. right. You destroy them before they got to pass on that DNA. Okay. So why did this Chinese company just like choose that five? Well, so it's been around for a little while mm. and this company has previously made the Ebola vaccine, right? Yeah. So they already had this tech on hand. And so I think they decided like, hey, let's go for it. Mm. All right. Now... This vaccine was approved by the Chinese military. Exciting twist. After the phase two trial. Right. So before the phase three trial was even started. And remind our audience, phase two, how big is that usually? Yeah, so usually you have maybe a couple thousand people. Mm -hmm. So in the US or for the Moderna trial and the Pfizer trial, the phase one trial, which is safety, usually a few hundred people, was kind of mixed together with the phase two trial. Right. Phase two trial is like, a little bit more safety, a little bit of efficacy. Like, oh, is this working, it seems? Right. Right. So then you chalk it up to maybe like a few thousand people. And then phase three trials, we're talking about tens of thousands of people. It seems safe. It seems like it could work. So now let's really, really see, right? Right. Let's really do the numbers. Because sometimes some safety issues only come up once you're looking at tens of thousands of people. Right. Right. And sometimes the statistics for how well does it work, only comes out when you have tens of thousands of people. Hey, by the way, before we detour, safety of the mRNA vaccine. You know, I've heard, like, on NPR or something, that the mRNA vaccine is actually the safest vaccine ever, or something like that. What are some side effects? Or, like, how many people get side effects? Or, I don't know, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Someone was telling me that they thought it caused cerebral palsy, right? And, like, you know, that's not true. But, like, are there any notable side effects for some people. Yeah, so actually what your buddy was talking about was something called Bell's palsy, which is not the same as cerebral palsy. Right. Bell's palsy is kind of a temporary situation that is almost reminiscent of like a minor stroke, kind of. Wow. That like you can have some face paralysis. It is a bummer. Temp palsy. I don't want anyone to get Bell's palsy. That is a bummer. It is not clear if the vaccines actually caused the Bell's palsy. Interesting. Uh, What happened was in the vaccine trial think the Moderna one, 
it was like three people who got the vaccine got Bell's palsy. Right. And one person who got the placebo got Bell's palsy. So, okay, so it's like so three to one. Hard to know what's going on there. Out of like 20,000 each. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, Those are, was that just some random shit? That's like less than 1%. Yeah. So with those kinds of numbers, right. right? I would say that extreme or severe reactions can happen. People can be allergic to stuff. And there have been some cases where people have experienced an allergic reaction to the vaccine, which is one of the reasons why if you do happen to be lucky enough to get the vaccine sometime soon, usually they want to monitor you for 15 minutes afterwards. Right. You'll get the shot and then they'll stick around with some kind of shot to help you out if you start to have an allergic reaction or something. That's cool. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. But on the flip side of it, minor reactions like fatigue, aching in the side of injection, headache, stuff like that, happens in a lot of people. Right. 30, 40%, right? So if you get the vaccine, expect to feel something. Right. But not anything dangerous. Yeah. Maybe you'll just feel a warmth in your heart at the progress of modern civilization, bro. (laughs) But okay, I mean, and kind of one of the reasons, I mean, I think this is an important life question in a society where we're not sure if we want to take the vaccine writ large, right? Like people are really feeling a lot of feelings right now about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's interesting about that all the side effects and blah, blah, blah are published facts when it comes to these mRNA vaccines and to the Oxford vaccine. Then you got CanSinoBio, right? The military injected some people with it. What happened? Yeah, and in this case, as far as we can tell, the Chinese military injected 40,000 people or so, which is about the size of a phase three trial. Okay. Clearly, there are more people that they could have injected right. by now. Because, yeah, that was like, again, summer, right? Yeah, right, right. They've had months to inject more people. Yeah. Doesn't seem like they've done it. And it's currently in a phase three trial. Okay. But we don't really have data right. so much for this. So vaccine. we don't know if it works that well, or we don't know if it like right. has some weird side. So I don't I don't have a I don't have a percent efficacy, for example. Oh. Um I will say that in general, adenovirus vaccines, the bigger concern is that they won't work as well because your immune system will clear them out. So, for example, one of the reasons why these need to be a single shot is because the second shot, your immune system is probably going to recognize the virus. Right. And then clear out the virus before it does anything. Right. So they kind of have to get it done in one shot. Whereas the idea with the lipid vaccine, some of the other ones, is you can get that second shot in there and your immune system will react only to the spike protein part. Right. That's interesting. But in any case, basically, CanSinoBio, an AD5 adenovirus. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll see, I guess. They're in we'll phase see. three. Right. Limited approval through the Chinese military. Yeah, limited approval. A little creepy. <laughs> Haven't heard anything for a while. None of those 40,000 guys have called me. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay, but that's not the only vaccine being developed in China. Right. So one of the other ones is out of the Beijing Institute of Biological Products in partnership with Sinopharm. Man, they just can't get over that whole thing, huh? No. So Sinopharm is a state-run company. Okay, It's there a state-run pharma company. Exciting. And so they're the distributors, right? It's kind of like they're the Pfizer compared to the BioNTech. Right. Kind of Chinese Communist Pharmacy, the CCP. Exactly. So this vaccine is approved in China. And also in the UAE, Egypt, and Bahrain. Man, I feel bad what countries have to do to suck up to China sometimes, you know? <laughs> like, we'll take your vaccine. Well, what's interesting is that Sinopharm, in their press release, said that the vaccine is 79% effective. Pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. Okay, so where are the then, papers? Uh, that's a great question. And the UAE has reported that it is 86% effective. Okay, very interesting. 
And when asked, Sinopharm said, both numbers are true. So, great. Uh, you know, there's a, we have no idea. It sounds like so much <laughs> bullshit. That sounds like when you have, like, the bad guy, and then you have the bad guy's, like, schmuck. Mm-hmm. And the bad guy's like, you know, we won by three points, but they're not on the same page. So the schmuck is like, we won by a thousand. Yes. And the bad guy's like, what are you saying? You know, yes. he makes everyone look like an asshole. It's exactly like that. And so there's no nitty gritty data that's been published here. So, I mean, I have no idea if Sinopharm wants to get approved in the U.S., but you can expect that if they ever have to submit that data to the FDA, we'll have it released publicly. We'll actually get to see that data. That's right. not the case right now. Right. Okay. Um, well, how's this one work? Yeah. So this vaccine is unlike any of the other ones that we've talked about so far. It is an inactivated virus vaccine. Sexy. So this one is actually kind of old-fashioned. This is an older version of vaccines than the sort of modern, fancy ones that we've been talking about. Right. right? We're not packaging it in a new virus. We're not using lipid nanoparticles. We're just giving you some COVID. Kind of. We're taking the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We're going to toss it on some monkey kidney cells in a dish. They're going to infect those cells kind of reproduce, right? They're going to make a bunch of copies of the virus. Those cells will explode and viruses will come out everywhere. And then we're going to grab up all of those viruses. They are currently infectious. That is dangerous. Interesting. So what we do first is we inactivate them. And in this case, the way that we inactivate them is we use a chemical called beta-propiolactone. Okay. Beta-propiolactone is a molecule that's like kind of promiscuous. It likes to react with stuff. It's just reacting because alpha is so alpha. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's, it's just, just doing its best. It's in college as a beta. A lifetime of bullying has <laughs> psychologically damaged it. So, <laughs> you describing my my Berkeley life? You are reading into that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, this beta propiolactone is a chemical. It binds to the virus genetic information. Okay, so it also binds to the lipid bilayer of mm. the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's cool. So it binds in. What that does is it basically fucks up the virus genome. So it can't reproduce anymore. Interesting. Okay. But it mostly spares the proteins around. So the proteins are all kind of in their place and they're the proper right. shape and, and everything. And that way you get injected and your immune system can still see the protein shell and still be like, oh, well, fuck that. Yeah. Without the virus, presumably, actually, like, you just getting COVID. Yes. Yes. Now, since the virus is not super able to do anything at that point, it's been inactivated. You usually mix in some adjuvant okay. as well. And in this case, they use alum which is a sort of paste-forming version of aluminum. Okay, and your body's just like, fuck that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mostly because it's like, it's making this weird paste, and your immune system's like, what the fuck is going on in my body right now? Right. This shit. Yeah. And also, the aluminum metal kind of binds up some proteins and misfolds them. It gets all confusing. Anyway, so it's a pretty good adjuvant. It's been around for a long time. It's not dangerous at all if it's like going around misfolding stuff? Uh, It's a little... Well, it makes it so you have to get the injections under your skin. Oh. So the reason why I say that is some of the other kinds of vaccines, including like the adenovirus ones, hypothetically, you could like snort them or get them as like a vaporizer or something like that. My favorite delivery. Right. But with alum as an adjuvant, you pretty much have to get it subcutaneous because it makes like a lump in that spot. Gross. It's like a physical, you you could poke it and it's a lump there. Wow. Yeah. I see the appeal of the other vaccine types now. (laughs) That's all a little like creepy deepy well in any case the flu vaccine is an example of an inactivated virus vaccine okay so it's not like we haven't done this shit before this has been clinically approved in the past right inactivated vaccines kind of work on a case-by-case basis right which is to say like you can't have a viral disease inactivate the virus and instantly have a vaccine that works well right it doesn't work every time right okay 
There are famous instances, like with a cat coronavirus vaccine. Wow. Dengue virus vaccine. A couple other vaccines out there, RSV and kids from like the 70s or something like that. Kids. Where the inactivated version of the virus, first of all, didn't protect you from the disease and made it so when you got the disease, you got it much worse. Right. Which is bad, clearly. You know, this is one of the things that's so disheartening about the anti-vaccine movement is I feel like it's not that every concern in the anti-vaccine movement is entirely unreasonable in isolation. It's just that they were like remarkably reasonable in 1955. Sure. And the course of medicine since then has been to address those concerns and develop new biotech that can more safely help people. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the keys is like, you just have to keep an eye on it, right? That's one of the reasons why you want things to be open and you want there to be things like centralized reporting platforms so you know like, hey, people are having a reaction to this. That's why you do the clinical trial, right? right? And if you have something you need to censor, you could do it really easily. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in any case, so this Beijing Institute Biological Products vaccine sounds like it's been safe so far. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been any really strict data released, but it has been getting injected in people in China and in the UAE and Egypt and Bahrain. Like, it's out there. And before it gets approved in the U.S., I hope they release all the data, right? Right. I want to see all the data. I want to know it's safe. But hypothetically, there's no reason why it can't work. It's just we need to be on the lookout for any kinds of issues. Right. It's a little freaky. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's still a couple more though, right? Still going yes. So, so these ones go by a little bit quicker because of all the groundwork we've just laid. So another one is called the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products, also distributed by Sinopharm. Very exciting. Wuhan, very famously um, not spreading COVID, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. The name might ring out in your earballs uh, as the place where we first noticed this uh, COVID-19. My ears are holes, Sean. Uh, <laughs> I don't have balls in there. I know about your Um, Okay, Okay, look, this is another inactivated virus vaccine. Okay. Its phase three trial is currently ongoing. Mm. It is not clear what the state of this is going to be because it's very similar to the one from the Beijing Institute of Biological Products. Wow. Also distributed by Sinopharm. Man. So I have no idea if they're going to approve both and distribute both or what. Do they just have like a vicious rivalry? Like, are there all these different institutes of biological products in China that just like at each other's throat. I would guess yet. Yeah. Yes. You know, <laughs> yeah. but in any case... Um, I would guess yet. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea if right. they're going to move forward with approval. The phase one and two trials have ended, and it appears that this one is fairly safe, mm-hmm. which is nice because, like we said, inactivated viruses can sometimes have that concern. Right. So far, it appears to be fairly safe. Okay. Well, then there's one more. Yes. The final Chinese one, Sinovac. Right. It's another inactivated virus vaccine. Right. Okay. So... China, three out of the four are this inactivated virus vaccine. Cool. This one's from a private Chinese company. Oh, exciting. They have done trials in Brazil where they say it is greater than 50% effective. Okay, it's not terrible. Not the most specific number either. Oh, yeah. It could wow. be anything greater than 50% effective. Right. Turkey says that it's 91% effective. Okay, wow, all right. Which, we'll see. The company has not released its own official study. Right. So the company has not said their own efficacy number. That's kind of interesting. It is interesting. I think things going on with, like, Turkey and Brazil. I don't know. Yeah. But they're ramping up production. They have emergency approval in China now. Yeah. And they're pretty ambitious. They want to get FDA approval at some point. They want to be able to sell it in the U.S., So, hey, man, you know, like, I just want to see the data. That's my same thing with all these vaccines. I want to see the data. 
I was able to see it for the Moderna vaccine, right. for the Pfizer vaccine, and I want to see it for this one, too. I want to see a commercial for Sinovac. Wow. I like that name. The Chinese vacuums. Okay, well, should we take a break? Yeah. And then when we come back, let's talk about the last few. Oh, the randos. Yeah, Russia, India, and Australia. Yeah, the dreaded vaccine <laughs> failure that is Australia. <laughs> Ouch. The following is an actual advertisement. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm a scientist. And I'm Matt. I'm a science enthusiast. If you're a scientist, or just enthusiastic about science, we have a podcast for you. Our show is called Curiosity Killed the Rat. And we answer questions like, what does the appendix really do? Why does a boomerang come back to you? Hypnosis, pseudoscience, or legit? All this with a spoonful of banter to help the science go down. With a new episode dropping every second Saturday, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at CuriosityRat. Okay, guys, so very famously, Russia has about one thing it did right, and that was Sputnik. <laughs> um, and so unsurprisingly, they named their vaccine after it. Yes. Okay, well, they actually have two vaccines. They do. Yeah, okay. But the one that's gotten the most press is Sputnik V. Hilarious. What are the other Sputniks? I actually didn't know there was a two, three, and four. I thought they were all satellite things or Probably. space shit. I don't know. I think it's pretty funny to like really complicate what that name means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like four apps. Like, Anything good, <laughs> Sputnik. <laughs> so it was developed by the Russian Ministry of Health, and this vaccine was approved in Russia before the phase three trials began. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a refrain that you heard earlier in the Chinese discussion, right? right. And it is suspicious. It right. is suspicious as fuck. Right. I don't like it. These despotisms seem like they're in a bit of a hurry to announce these things. Yeah, yeah. Wait until at least interim data is back from the phase three, right. guys. Anyway, so it has a reported 91.4% efficacy, which is nice. It has only released sparse information. Okay, so no full report. Nothing like what we have from Moderna and Pfizer. But better than the Chinese vaccines. Yes, it has more information. It has at least a breakdown of the number of people in each group that have gotten sick, you know, either while on placebo or while on the vaccine. What kind right. of virus is it? All right, whoop, what kind of vaccine is it? Yeah, nailed it. So this one is another adenovirus vaccine. Okay. So if you remember, that is like the Oxford AstraZeneca, which is a CHAD adenovirus. Right. Johnson & Johnson, which is an ad 26, and Can Sinobio, which was an ad 5. Okay. Now, the thing is, Sputnik 5 is a blend of adenoviruses. Okay. It's actually both ad 5 and ad 26, which is like mixing the Johnson & Johnson and Can Sinobio okay. vaccines together. That might be a pretty good idea, okay, because... There might be some people who have encountered ad 5 before, but haven't encountered ad 26 right. and vice versa. You're passing a wider net. Yeah. So that might be a good thing to do. Okay. Um, Russia, Belarus, and Argentina have emergency approved this vaccine. Man, Argentina's just rubber stamping anything, huh? Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah, wow. <laughs> They're going for it. And interestingly, AstraZeneca, which is the group that partnered with Oxford and did the CHAD adenovirus vaccine. Right. Right. They said that they're going to work with the team that made Sputnik V and do a clinical trial where they combine the two together. Beautiful. Which would hypothetically mean that this combined vaccine would have three different adenoviruses in it. Yeah. Like you were saying, casting an even wider net. Right? Okay. Which, hey man, cool. So, I mean, like, Russia approved this a long time ago. 
I mean, is just everyone in Russia vaccinated now? <laughs> so unfortunately, there seems to be a pretty widespread vaccine hesitancy in Russia. Right. You know, and some of that is anti-science, but then even more of it, or an additional chunk of it, are skeptical because of the timing of the approval yeah. being so early in the clinical trial process, right? right? So for better or for worse, there's actually a lot of people who are not getting vaccinated in Russia. Fascinating. Uh, which ain't great. Right, ain't true. Great. So then the other vaccine that's in Russia right now is the EpiVac Corona. Okay, cool. And this is a subunit vaccine. What that means is that, so you are delivering peptides, which are little pieces of proteins. Right. For mRNA vaccines and the adenovirus vaccines, you're delivering instructions to make a protein. Right. In this case, you're going way further ahead. You're not even delivering a protein anymore. You're delivering pieces of a protein. Okay. That you expect your immune system to learn and recognize. All right. And those pieces are generally sourced from the spike protein. Does that work? Well, in general, subunit vaccines are expected to work okay. Okay. There's some reasons why they might not be as effective as delivering like an entire protein. When you get an entire protein, that protein gets chopped up into peptides by your body. And usually that means you get a bigger diversity of peptides. Yeah. But in subunit vaccines, it means you can really focus in on like what you think the best peptides yeah, are. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll be like, if you sent me a bread, like I know what I need to do with some bread, right? Sure. If you sent me some fucking flour, some fucking yeast or something... Like, look, somebody knows what to do with that, right? But me, I don't know what I'm doing with that. <laughs> well, I, I think about, you know, like a cow versus a steak, right? It's like if I got right. a whole cow, like I don't know all the parts I need to chop up of a cow. Right. That's kind of complicated. I would inevitably eat the easier things to eat, and that's dick. <laughs> and so like and so and so like you know give me the steak yes i need it excellent need great so the details on this virus the epivac coronavirus are kind of sparse phase three clinical trials began a couple of weeks after vladimir putin again approved this vaccine exciting so this is an approved vaccine as far as I understand, as of December 15th, 1,500 people have received this vaccine. Wow, so that's not even like phase two numbers. That would be like, we're ramping up our phase two. We're getting close to the phase two number. You know what I mean? Wow. So I don't know what the deal is with this. The fundamental technology, a subunit vaccine, is not a bad idea. That is one of the technologies out there for vaccines. I don't think it should have been approved quite so early. Yeah, you just have to see if it works. Yeah, so we have no idea what's yeah. going on with that vaccine. No idea. So, you know, in America, there's always, like, people, you know, are like, oh, well, this this figure should get the vaccine publicly, right? So mm -hmm. to dispel some of the whatever rumors about vaccines. Has Vladimir Putin, like, gone on a bear and, like, taken any vaccines from Russia? Has he given himself a little Sputnik 5? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Have you seen anything about that? No, and probably not. But I don't really know, you know? I mean, Sputnik V at this point, I haven't seen the data yet, but if AstraZeneca is wanting to work with them, I assume internally they saw some of the data. Right. And that's a that's a Western company. I, I kind of assume that that vaccine at least works. I don't know if it's 91% effective or not, but right. I assume it works. There's some merit to it, probably. Yeah. So let's move on from Russia to India. India has a vaccine. Yeah, India is up there with Brazil and America as like the hardest hit individual nation states, right? Yeah, they've gotten slammed yeah. pretty bad. And yeah. so they have a vaccine called Covaxin. Okay. Created in India and emergency approved there, despite the phase three results not being done yet. Exciting. But they approved it while the phase three was going on. Right. Okay, so I would still place that as better than what Putin was doing. Covaxin is an inactivated virus like three out of the four Chinese vaccines. Okay. Right? 
So similar technology is what we said. So again, not a crazy idea. That's historically the oldest way to do a vaccine. Or maybe not, I guess. The oldest vaccine was dying, right? (laughs) You can't get it if you're dead. (laughs) Attenuated vaccines or using a vaccine that's like a slightly different species. Those are the oldest ways. Right, that's like the cowpox guy, right? uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But inactivated viruses have a long history. Uh, They're a little... they're not always a slam dunk. Right. Sometimes they work. Sometimes it makes it way worse. Yes. It's a case-by-case thing. Yes. Although it kind of looks like, you know, cross your fingers, we haven't seen the full data yet. It kind of looks like inactivated viruses can work here. Cool. Okay. But yeah, let's let's move on to our yeah. final vaccine. Yeah. This is like the fun one. Now, you guys, a little story to preface this is um, Stacey and I were looking for an espresso machine, and we got this awesome espresso machine called a Breville. Now, it turns out that Breville, I assumed it was Belgian for some reason. And it turns out that it's from New Zealand. Nice. Right? Which I didn't know they had, like, factories. Um, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. But, like, I knew they had a film industry. I knew they had, like, gorgeous half Maori dudes and wine. But I didn't know they also managed to build a factory to make machine parts there. Sure. I mean, um, they're assembled by sheep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that, I mean, that really makes a lot of sense to me, right? That provides clarity. Yes. And I kind of had this epiphany then that, like, maybe New Zealand and Australia, like, have science or like universities or like maybe even labs yeah you know rather than just like strapping sexy people yes becoming actors and stuff yes so it turns out australia they've got a vaccine industry or whatever you'd call it they got labs and shit you know they're gonna rough and tumble right they want to make a vaccine a vaccine i don't know i don't know how you say vaccine Mm -hmm. in australia yeah so i was surprised when you told me it didn't work out well okay So, there is a very vibrant scientific community in Australia. Mm. On Twitter, there's a couple of people, a couple of virologists out of Australia that are very, very, uh, you know, respected. Well, it makes sense. I mean, Australia's as close to Mars as you could get on Earth, right? (laughs) So, it attracts a very scientific mind, a very inquiring mind. Yeah, so, all of the vaccines that we've listed so far have been approved somewhere. Okay, cool. Okay. And so I did want to end this episode with the only vaccine so far that has been abandoned. Right. And, you know, this is important to me because, again, I know a lot of skeptics and, like, vaccines can be canceled. Yes. (laughs) You know? Sometimes (laughs) things go wrong enough that we just say, "Ah, you know what? No. Yeah. And this is a good example. Yeah. And this is also one where the vaccines that we've talked about so far have been a mix. Some of them have been kind of older, tried and true technologies. Some of them have been newer technologies, ones that haven't ever been clinically approved before. This one's actually kind of a blend in and of itself. Okay? Right. Because this vaccine developed by the University of Queensland. Right. In it's subunit. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It is a subunit approach. And in this particular case, they wanted to deliver one protein. Okay, cool. The spike protein. Awesome. So that's the same protein that the mRNA would get translated into. It's the same protein that the DNA and the adenoviruses code for, right? Mm. All of that's the same idea. They're all going toward the spike protein. Okay, okay. Now, here's the thing. If you are delivering a protein, you want your body to recognize it as it would be on a virus. Right. But proteins can misfold or they can get a little, you know, sloppy, Right. right? Right. People really do forget this. Yeah. And so I really want to say this. Human body's got a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's a little hot in there. It's a little sexy in there. Yes. Proteins are real things. Yes. They're not magic. So they go, blip, 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 blip. they denature, they shape, they move, like they're literal physical things. Yes. I know that sounds stupid. A lot of our listeners are like actually also scientists. So to them, they're going to be like, God damn, Nathan's dumber than usual today. <laughs> but like, that's actually like really important. Because that's actually, it, I mean, honestly, I don't think scientists will think that you're dumb because- 
that's not the easiest thing to really internalize. Right. Proteins are real physical objects. Right. And they do move around and they do yeah. jiggle. See, I know that because I had a buddy who tries his mind all the whey powder he drank. <laughs> he had the same type of jiggle, right? So like, <laughs> yeah. I know the physicality of protein. <laughs> yeah. you he know? got that hey, jiggle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. If you are delivering just spike protein, spike protein is normally shoved into the virus, right? It's like attached to the whole virus. It's right. like sticking out of the surface and right. everything. It has a very specific shape, one that's called the prefusion conformation. Awesome. It's You've called... been watching a lot of Steven Universe too, huh? <laughs> a lot of fusion. It's called yeah. prefusion because when it binds to your cell protein, that's right. called the fusion Okay, cool. Right. And so after it binds, it's the post-fusion confirmation. Okay, that's pretty sexy. So anyway, pre-fusion confirmation is what it looks like on the virus when the virus is just floating around. Yeah. That's when we would love your immune system to fuck up those viruses. <laughs> sure. Pre-fusion confirmation. Right, okay. If you were to just kind of chop off that spike and put it somewhere in a dish, right, it is very, very likely to change shape a little bit. Okay. It's just going to get a little loose. It's not sticking in where it was supposed to be. Right. It's going to get a little floppy. Right. It's like an Amish kid who's on that thing they do, right? Yes. Rumspringer. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're getting floppy. Yes. Yeah. Very <laughs> floppy. But then hard. <laughs> and then floppy again. <laughs> you know, there's an early X-Files episode about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, let's keep going. Okay. Now, there are ways to try to get around this. Because, like, for example, the mRNA vaccines would run into the same problem. Okay. If you had just the mRNA coding for regular spike protein, your cell would make that spike protein, but it wouldn't have a rest of a virus to stick into. Right. It would probably also misfold. Right. And so what happened was a lot of really hardworking, fucking super clever and skilled scientists figured out the structure of spike protein. Cool. Using like fucking x-ray crystallography, yeah. like in-depth cryo-TEM shit. Just makes me mad about that one lazy scientist. <laughs> just took all the credit. As <laughs> Garfield just ate all the pizza in the corner. Oh, so that lasagna, you son of a bitch. Anyway. <laughs> I don't read Garfield. <laughs> so they went full-blown, right? Okay. They went full-blown. They figured out the structure and they figured out, hey, if we make a few mutations here and there. Very Just cool. a few tweaks that will stabilize it mm. so it stays in the right shape even when it's not attached to the whole virus. Cool. Okay? So that's one option. The other option is if you don't want to wait for that process, which could take a very long time. It's not always going to work out that you're going to figure out the structure quickly. Yeah. If you don't want to wait, there was this other idea figured out. Okay? And the idea is take the spike protein and then stick something on the end that forces it to stay in the right shape. All right. And what they called it is a molecular clamp. Okay. The idea that like a clamp makes you stick in shape right. and everything. They so, love clamps in Australia. Yes. Yes. So they were like, let's make a clamp. Yeah. And they did. Okay. So that was the technology. They stuck a little bit of protein, a few peptides. They stuck 80 amino acids on the end of the spike protein to make it stay in its proper shape. Okay. And that seemed to work. Boom, baby. Uh, Australian okay. vaccine. Give me some of that. I want to just shoot myself up with some Hemsworth. So they did some hamster studies. Okay, cool. And those hamsters made those antibodies when they got the vaccine. Okay? Awesome. Looking good. Cool. Right? Is it like one of those things where everything's just a little different in Australia? Like they don't use mice in Australia. They only use hamsters. <laughs> and so, chinchillas in New Zealand. Hamsters are a good model sometimes for immunology stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. The, in some ways, they can give a readout that's a little bit better. It's a little bit closer to humans than mice sometimes. Interesting. Is it like size? Like fucking... 
I think rats are better if you want to go for size. And tapers are just like fucking exactly like humans or something. <laughs> Pigs are pretty close to humans. For immunology, right. my understanding is ferrets are one of the best immunology tools. I hear ferrets are assholes. Yeah, well, send them to the lab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. They were like, all right, sweet. Mm-hmm. It worked out in these fucking hamsters. Very cool. Let's take this into phase one clinical trials. Let's pop this into people. Okay. They popped it into people. What happened? It's looking kind of safe. And then people started testing positive for HIV. <laughs> Holy shit. What okay. a fucking nightmare. So this vaccine gave people HIV? No. Thank God. Eh. Right? Or <laughs> Hail Satan. Yeah, thank Satan. Right? Thank Lucifer. They did not actually get HIV. They okay. were just testing positive for HIV. How does that even work? Right. And here's the reason why. The molecular clamp that they used was inspired by nature okay cool. where from nature from an hiv protein oh interesting there's an hiv protein that kind of sticks together well mm. like a clamp would and they were like sweet that's sticky let's grab a piece of that and attach it onto spike protein right they kind of knew that hey your immune system is probably going to make a couple antibodies to it they did not realize that your immune system would recognize the hiv part make so many antibodies to it yeah. that it would set off HIV tests. Okay, wow. So these people are falsely testing positive for HIV. Right. Come to Australia. Vaccine's just good enough to make our HIV positive. <laughs> I like it. So that sucks. Right, right? That Because is it means that those people for an indeterminate amount of time right. are going to test positive for HIV regardless of if they have it or not. Right. That is disconcerting. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, you'd like to be able to trust your HIV test to tell you what's going on. Right. We do not know how long that lasts for. Some vaccines don't last forever anyway, yeah. right? So it could be a few months, or it could be the rest of their lives Exciting. that they test positive for Exciting. HIV. Exciting. I like this kind of this high risks, man. Yeah, so, so the university was like, <laughs> well, but they also made antibodies against COVID, so right. like... We think the vaccine worked pretty well. And the government's like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Well, the government was like hypothetically on the hook for a billion dollars worth of doses. Wow. And they're like, we don't really want to make everyone HIV positive on tests. Wasn't that such a funny thing (laughs) about Australia? They're just like, oh, all the people down there just have, they're all just HIV positive. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of one of the bummers sort of is that this molecular clamp idea. It's pretty good. Is, is pretty good and is pretty modular. You could switch it over to a new virus that comes up. Right. right. And so you could use it hypothetically to make vaccines pretty quickly in a new situation, but not if it always makes you HIV positive <laughs> on well, tests. if the whole world was HIV positive, it'd be okay then, right? <laughs> well, we, we'd probably have to figure out new tests for HIV. Right, but right, like, right. I uh, mean, you told me, though, that you could still do like a PCR yes, or somebody. Yes. So the thing is that what those HIV diagnostic tests, the issue is that they're detecting antibodies against that HIV protein. Right. There's ways to get around that. Right. You could do PCR tests to look for the actual information of the HIV virus. Yeah. You could probably even do antibody tests that are specific for antibodies to other proteins on HIV. Uh, But still, that sucked enough that the government was like, no, thank you. You And they abandoned it. So, moral of the story... With vaccines, not every time a bat's going to be a home run. Right. Okay? Sometimes it's not going to work out. That's already the case. Okay? Already vaccines have not panned out. 
And there are vaccines right now that are in preclinical work. They're doing it in mice and everything like that that are already failing and they're dropping it. Okay, right. that, that's just the way that this scientific yeah. process works. Yeah, I mean, works. I think people have such a weird either deified or like, a, you know, like I think people make symbolic science and scientific research and vaccines when like vaccines are part of a human process and human institutions. And I think one of the reasons we should trust vaccines that have good results and published data is that some fail. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that there's actually clear transparency on the fact that some do not work. Yeah. Is, I think, very reassuring. Yeah. Some of them don't work. And hey, you know what? You look at the vaccines out there. Some of them don't work as well as the others. Right. right. Like even with the Oxford AstraZeneca one, their normal dose that they went in expecting to do 62 percent effective. Still nice, but compared to 95 percent, 94 percent from like the Moderna and the Pfizer and everything. Right. It's just, there is variety out there. This isn't some kind of conspiracy thing, right? This is just the way that the science worked out this time. And in a certain sense, it's a confluence of a lot of scientific experience that we've been building over the past couple of decades, along with some luck. You know what I mean? Like, it is lucky that, in this case, these mRNA vaccines worked out really well. Mm. And maybe we'll find out in the future that mRNA vaccines generally have very high efficacy. Right. We just don't know yet. But we were very lucky that they did work out so well this time. Right. And that we do have them on hand. Right. And that's just the way it turned out. So Trump was right. What? We didn't have to shut anything down. How dare you? That's <laughs> such a slutty mouth. <laughs> it is interesting that the Moderna vaccine was done really early on. Right. right. Like basically the formulation that is now getting injected into people was ready like at the start of February. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting because I think some people read that. And they're like, why did Big Pharma keep this from us? But like, I think the better way to read that is like, you want vaccines. It's only with hindsight that you know which vaccines work or don't work. It's good that we have a process to determine whether they'll kill people or not, or like make them HIV positive. Right. And you know, who knows? Test HIV positive. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Test HIV positive. (laughs) Who knows if there's a way to take the 10 months that it took and streamline it down to something less. Right. You know, and stay safe. Right. I don't know. That is something, I think, for people to keep an eye out for and to, right. to be creative about while still staying safe. Hell, that timeline's already pretty fast. It's crazy fast. But, again, all those results are published, right? Yes. I mean, like, I think some people look at a fast turnaround, and that makes them skeptical. And, and it's actually fair to be skeptical. It's just, like, when there's transparency in the system, that skepticism either needs to turn to research and you shut the fuck up, right? Yeah. As a closing note, I guess I would say... What I hope is that people will have a realistic weighing of all of this in their minds. Right. Like, do I support science or freedom? Right? You need (laughs) to weigh those things. So so, it's an ethical question. (laughs) You son of a bitch. The weighing that I was talking about is vaccines rarely. And for some people, right? So I'm not even talking about like, oh, the occasional vaccine. I'm saying for even a safe vaccine. Right. Rarely. Somebody might have a bad reaction. Right. Okay. How many... What are those bad reactions? How long does it take to manifest? Some of those things take time to know, right? right? Sometimes it takes millions of doses to know the details. Right. Okay. What you'd have to always weigh that against is what is the thing you're protecting yourself from, right? right? And in this case, coronavirus is not only something where you can get very, very sick and you can die. But you could, of course, infect someone else too. Sure. And I guess we never mentioned this at all, and it's maybe worth mentioning, some vaccines Some vaccines do kill you. <laughs> so, some vaccines keep you from getting sick. Right. Some vaccines keep you from getting severely sick. Okay. Those are symptoms. Interesting. 
Some vaccines keep you from being able to transmit the virus. Okay. We do not know if these vaccines keep you from transmitting Right, this is where it's definitely way too early. Yeah, so the vaccines might make it so that you do not go to the ICU. Okay, cool. Okay, but they might not stop you from spreading it. Mm. Which is why we need as close to everyone vaccinated as possible. Right. That's the only way to really get out of that. Right. Okay, so what I was going to say earlier, though, is that COVID-19 also has long-lasting repercussions that we don't understand yet either. It really is a new... It's new. There are people who got it really early on that are still suffering from neurological symptoms. Right. Forgetfulness. They'll have kind of temporary amnesia. They, they don't know where they are all right. of a sudden. Okay. There are people who are having cardiac problems as if they had heart attacks. Right. Blood clots all over their bodies. Okay. These are long lasting issues in people who are young, for example. These right. can be like a 22 year old who just got out of college and then now has a lifelong disability because of COVID. Yeah, this is not syphilis, where we know exactly what it does and it's definitely worth it, right? Like we, <laughs> we, you know, need to approach this with a certain amount of humility and understand that we're not going to understand the full ramifications and repercussions of this disease and pandemic at large for a while. Yeah, so for me, my verdict is for the vaccines that I've seen the data on, Moderna and Pfizer, at this point, very small risks from them are way, way, way better than the very real risks that I understand from COVID-19. You know what it is for me? What? It's like driving. Look, could I die on the road? I will. (laughs) (laughs) I drive poorly. (laughs) But is it worth dying from poverty? (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Wait, wait, it is. What? Yes, it is, right? Huh? It is worth dying from. Wait. Oh. No, wait. Uh, well, guys, thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Let's thank <laughs> Stacy, our sound lord and engineer. Oh, man. Thank you, Brian and Griffin, for art. You know, you guys can sign up on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Petri Dish. As little as a dollar a month if you like uh, this kind of situation that we got going on. Uh, you can tweet at us on Twitter at Dish Podcast. Email us at PetriDishPod at gmail.com. Guys. Have a happy new year. <laughs> if, you can, new year. if you can, get vaccinated, okay? Because there's a lot of us who can't get it yet. If you're on that list for some kind of reason, get it. And we'll see you next time. Just to die, just to die, just to die.